Tomorrow, of course, marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks in New York and also in Washington. Uh, And as we mark that anniversary again, we are seeing video that in many cases we have not seen. And and this is a conscious decision on the part of TV networks. I know we'd said in the sort of the wake of the actual attacks, you know, we would only play the actual visuals of the planes hitting the the towers on actual anniversaries. And then even after that, we said, okay, no, we don't play that at all. But now that it's the 20th anniversary, an important anniversary, you're seeing a lot more of it and you're hearing things like this. An unbelievable scene in New York City. You can see the whole lower part of Manhattan at this hour engulfed in smoke and flames as the second section of the World Trade Center has apparently collapsed in flames. That is Kevin Newman, who at the time was the anchor of Global National. Global National is uh, anchored now by Donna Friesen, and they're celebrating actually their 20th anniversary. That program just went on the air. I believe it was the day before the attacks, and so he was broadcasting live. That's a portion of that broadcast. As we begin to look at what has happened in the intervening 20 years, it's important to pull out a little bit and look at what has happened to the world in the intervening two decades. And to help me discuss it more, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Daryl Lee, who's an anthropologist at the University of Chicago and the author of The Universal Enemy, Jihad Empire, and The Challenge of Solidarity. Welcome to the program, Daryl. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me on. History is written after the fact and often through a very different lens. At this point, how would you characterize American foreign policy in the 20 years that followed the attacks of September 11th? Well, if I had to boil it down, I think there would be two points. The first is this idea of endless war, endless not only in time, but also boundless in space. During these decades, the U.S. built uh, essentially a global killing machine in the search of a right or asserting a right or a prerogative to um, kill or capture pretty much anyone they wanted to throughout the world, pretty much any place in any time. Now, of course, the U.S. has a very long imperial history, especially of covert actions and violence from the Cold War and even earlier. Um, But what was really striking about the war on terror period was an open assertion of the right to, to kill or to grab people throughout the world at any time that they felt it was necessary and at any time where client states or proxy states uh, were, you know, seemed like they couldn't get the job done. The other really important part of the past two decades has been this illusion that the U.S. could wage war without sacrifice. Um, it's been said that the war on terror was the first time in American history where going to war was accompanied by a tax cut rather than a raise in taxes. So this was a time where the U.S. no longer has a draft and where the burdens of fighting war were not only, of course, borne primarily by victims around the world, but even within the U.S. were shifted onto a a much, much smaller section of the population. Um, Plus, you have the massive outsourcing and privatization of war, so a small number of profiteers getting insanely rich, while the general population was sort of told that, you know, this violence could be exercised in their name around the world, but they were told famously by President George W. Bush that the way to demonstrate patriotism 
um, was by going shopping. Now, this was part and parcel of a broader set of policies that hollowed out the American middle class that essentially uh, gave more and more wealth, uh, distributed wealth upwards. And that led to the 2008 financial crash, which violently kind of re-scrambles a lot of these um, baseline assumptions about what the American social contract is about. And a lot of the um, a lot of the policies that got the U.S. to that point um, were enacted, or they could be enacted in part because of this this haze of war, because of this desire for for really re- revenge and often racialized revenge that could be directed um, at the rest of the world. Many pundits and thinkers draw a straight line between the external attack of 9-11 to the internal attack of January 6th. Uh, do, do you agree with that? Well, I think... It is true that when you have policies that for decades are built on not leveling with the world and with the American people that are really built on lies, then this is always going to um, strain certain ideas of legitimacy and um, unleash forces of racial reaction that have always been there in the United States. It's really important to remember that before 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in American history was the Oklahoma City bombing, um, carried out, of course, by two white men. And the response of the U.S. government was to pass a bunch of laws that rapidly expanded violence against communities of color uh, through expanding the death penalty, immigration detention, and anti-terrorism laws. So those forces of white supremacy were always there. But of course, the war on terror um, provided a channel or a safety valve for for having those energies be directed through violent warfare overseas and gave uh, racism a, an even more kind of legitimate place in political life. And that is an important aspect of, uh, of this history. Many have remarked on the fact that we no longer actually have a baseline of facts that partisans on either side can agree on, no longer a, what you would call in court, an agreed statement of facts. Uh, Was trust in government and the media, I include media in this, also a casualty of the attacks of September 11th? Absolutely. And I think the most important part of this story is the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Um, When you have this invasion that is built on a set of lies, and specifically I'm talking about the the idea that um, Iraq had to be invaded because the regime there had weapons of mass destruction, and then you have this disastrous war that leads to incredible loss of life, not only of Iraqis, but also of uh, U.S. and allied service members there, those types of um, deception are always going to uh, discredit the idea that there can be a, a common sort of baseline of facts that experts should be trusted and so on. So in the situation that we're dealing with now of all of this so-called fake news left and right and all of these ecosystems of media that are you know spinning out different narratives, it's important to remember that you know, even the the sort of nostalgia for kind of a baseline centrist narrative where facts were facts and we all agreed on the basic parameters, you know, wasn't really ever as solid as some would like um, would like us to think. And the invasion of Iraq in particular is a, is a deeply, deeply important um, episode in that history. President Biden in his press conference talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan said that the era of nation building by Americans is over. Do you believe that? You know, it's not really clear. I think right now the U.S. is, of course, stung by its catastrophic failure in Afghanistan, where they invested billions of dollars, um, again, in in lining the pockets of defense contractors and enriching a very, very tiny uh, elite in the country that, that didn't necessarily have a lot of legitimacy. 
Um, but these tropes of nation building, they have a way of sometimes coming back, right? Because sometimes the U.S. says, okay, we want to only focus on the bad guys and go in and kill them. But then they realize that they do have to uh, build um, institutions in these various parts of the world to, uh, to keep the peace and to keep um, a status quo that is favorable to the U.S. And that's why the nation building discourse kind of comes back in. Um, but then the more that they try to do that, they get there's the risk of being sucked into another disaster. So it's a little bit of a seesaw between the idea of doing only nation building and quote unquote only going after bad guys. Um, it's really hard to see how either of these is ever going to be um, fully dispensed with. I think it's more just a question of moving back and forth between uh, between different moods and different levels of readiness to uh, to engage in these policies. So unfortunately, I, I think uh, another hubristic act of trying to prop up a, a sort of you know illegitimate proxy regime in other parts of the world is something that the United States could very well end up trying again in the future. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Very much appreciated. Thank you. It is Dr. Daryl Lee, who's an anthropologist at the University of Chicago and the author of The Universal Enemy, Jihad, Empire, and the Challenge of Solidarity.